Good evening, everyone. Welcome back to Spin Class. We're talking politics. I'm your host, Michael Fragan, here on the Nachum Siegel Network. NachumSiegel.com, JM in the AM.org. And welcome to another Thursday evening of political talk. We're back after the Pesach hiatus, little Pesach vacation, little opportunity for Avrami to take a little much, much needed R&R. And welcome back. And we have a great, great show coming up this week on a very special topic. You know, we could have talked this week about all kinds of current events going on in the political firmament out there. But I wanted to kind of devote my attention was grabbed by our first guest this week who wrote a very provocative and I, I know he intends to be provocative. He's a frequent guest on the show. So that's a uh, you know, that's kind of his M.O. We're aware of that. But uh, called Shtetlopolis. And uh, if you don't know what that means, we're going to talk about it. And it kind of led me to this idea, this segment, this entire show that I've wanted to do for a while on the profile of orthodox political power in the suburbs. And I, I'll just throw it out there that I don't believe that the suburbs were created to really uh, cater well to the Orthodox Jewish community in a sense that, well, we'll get to that. You know, I don't think it, it, it just upsets the entire political paradigm. But we're going to get to that with our guests. We have, uh, as I mentioned, we have former Assemblyman Ryan Carbon up first on the show uh, talking about the situation in, throughout the Hudson Valley in uh, Rockland, Orange, Sullivan counties. We also are going to have later on uh, Yossi Gestetner, of the Orthodox Jewish Public Affairs Council. Then uh, Aaron Trudler, activist in Teaneck, New Jersey, and Steve Langert, former mayor, deputy mayor of Lakewood, New Jersey, all those known as citadels and uh, large representations of the Orthodox community that are not in a city context, but a more suburban context. And First of all, first and foremost, you have to go ahead and thank our sponsor, Beckerman Public Relations, BeckermanPR.com, building market leadership and reputation through strategic communications, BeckermanPR.com. And let's get right to it. Uh, as I said, Ryan Carbon on the line. Tell us about your provocative title and what you were trying to accomplish with your little uh, missive this week on your blog, Carbon Copy. Well, good evening, Michael. Um, I hope you had a wonderful uh, Passover holiday, you and your family. Good to have the show back uh, back on. I know we've all been, uh, been waiting for it to resume its regularly scheduled programming. So, it has uh, been tough. It has been tough without it. I good, have to we're say. going into the, the spring season of the spin class, right? That's right. That's right. Well, let's get in shape. <laughs> yeah, it's coming. It's coming. Um, so, you know, the, the title, Shtetlopolis, um, you know, it's gotten a little bit of, you know, it's gotten some smirks. But my, my point is, you know, when you think of a metropolis, you think of this, you know, kind of, big, sprawling entity. And what we have developing in the Hudson Valley, it appears to be, is a very large, modern shtetl, um, which uh, stretching from, you know, communities in Rockland, and there are communities in Orange, now communities in Sullivan County. And, and you know, you're having this geographic concentration um, of Orthodox Jews, but most intensely uh, Hasidic Jews, you know, the quote-unquote modern Orthodox population in the even your yeshivish population, your black hat so-called population does not figure as, 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 as prominently in, in these, in these communities. In fact, in, in Orange County, the only, the only, uh, observant Jews that you really have for the most part are, are in the Hasidic community. So, you know, this is what's happening in the Hudson Valley and it's having tremendous impact on our politics. We all know the legion of stories about the courting of the Hasidic vote. We've now seen the emergence of a whole bunch of third political parties in the Hudson Valley to try to counter that influence an anti-Hasidic vote under running under names called United Monroe or Preserve Ramapo, Preserve Rockland. Uh, we I know you've had discussions on the air of uh, what happened in uh, Sullivan County and Bloomingburg. So so this is going to ensnare a whole bunch of of, of state folks. I think it's going to be, play a role in the election between Cuomo and Astorino. Oh, well, let's agencies, before, before. State, state agencies are involved, Department of Education, Department of Environmental Conservation, the State Division of Code Enforcement. All of these agencies are enmeshed in, in local battles, which have to do with the growth of the Orthodox Jewish community and the Hasidic community in particular. Okay, so before we get to that state-wide level, of, and I want to understand your analysis as to why 
the statewide races would be influenced specifically by this. But let's just go back for a second because we've had various guests on the show. Uh, we've had Ed Day on the show who ran on the Preserve Rockland line. We've had others on the show who have talked about these lines. We've talked about Bloomingburg here on the show. And I was involved in the situation in Bloomingburg as well personally. But let's are you positing that these lines were created specifically as anti-Orthodox? Are they anti-something? Are they pro-something? Is there a larger agenda or is their agenda purely to stop the growth of the Hasidic villages? Their, their agenda is anti-growth, and, and let's understand why. And, and you asked the question at the top of the show, Michael, about, you know, what is it about, you know, this kind of Orthodox Jewish life in, in the suburbs? And the answer is very simple, and it's called density. Orthodox Jews live close to each other, close to their places of worship, because of the Sabbath. So therefore, Orthodox Jews, in order to be able to avail themselves of their uh, of the religious infrastructure that they need, need to live close together, um, need to be in walking distance to their synagogues. That's harder when land is very spread out. And in the uh, Hasidic community in particular, um, there is a very strong community ethic of parents living very close to children. Those are intergenerational communities close to the rabbi. So the culture of the community is really predicated on people being very close together. And the suburbs were designed to do exactly the opposite. The purpose of the suburbs was to spread people apart. So people left dense urban areas and moved to the suburbs for space. When you have a population which is growing at 5% a year because of its birth rate, plus is organized around principles which require them all to live close to each other, you're going to have a lot of growth, and you're going to have a change in the character of suburban communities, and that is not necessarily going to go over very well with some people. Okay, but two questions for you, and because I want to flesh two items out, at least from my point of view. Number one is the public schools, okay? So the public schools have always been the unifying force in a suburban community. I have, you know, just we have our own conflict in my area of the five towns. A lot of that, it certainly doesn't fester the way it does in East Ramapo. And how much of a role is the public school issue uh, around that? Because Curious Joel has its own school district, so there's not a, so it's not as much an issue. Or it shouldn't be as much of an issue there. And number two is really the issue of where are the Hasidic Jews supposed to live? You know, if they don't live there and they can't grow organically and because people resent them, where is it that they want them to live? I, I don't understand the whole idea. Well, you can't live here. What does that mean? You can't live here. This is America. And, and, that, and that, Michael, is, is the heart of the issue. Let me go back to the public schools and why what we have seen happen, uh, particularly the controversy surrounding the East Ramapo School District, where you have over uh, 21,000 children in the uh, yeshiva system and roughly 9,000 in the public school system and a school board which is run and dominated by those who don't have kids in the public school system. So... That, what's the situation with the public schools? It's a consequence of growth. So if the only community that is expanding um, be, because of its birth rate and because of its incredible desire to live near each other and attract other relatives and grow big families uh, indigenously um, is growing, so that means that the proportion of the population that is not using the public schools is going to continue and continuing to, to increase. Um, and that community does not interact with the public school system doesn't participate in the life of the community, the high school, football games, all those other kinds of things. It's a separate community. So I think folks are generally okay with that, but if you want to have your separate community, that's fine. Why are you running my kids' public school? To which the response is free country, democratically elected school board, majority rules, we pay our taxes, and that entitles us to run your school, run the schools. Which but wait, true, wait, the schools are... A thousand percent the schools true, are and, run... absolute, and, and absolutely legitimate. But how do you... How do you run a public school system, the idea of which is it serves an entire community, when most of the people in the community don't want that service? It doesn't suit their needs. It doesn't 
It doesn't address something that's important to them. And lots of folks, they may wish all the best for other people's children. They may, you know, be all for folks being able to get the best education that they possibly can. Um, but with the burdens of yeshiva tuition and, you know, and the publics and the taxes are very, very high, you really have a, a political environment in which folks feel that you can't, everybody can't win, that there are going to be winners and losers. Well, that's what and, I was alluding to in the beginning when I said that the Orthodox Jewish lifestyle, and I think you said it doesn't lend itself to suburbia, because if you have a situation where the majority don't send their kids to the public school, you end up in a situation, since they're funded through property taxes, since they're funded only by a specific community, if that community doesn't care so much, then that whole that whole uh, structure falls apart. And there's right. no solution and, and this for is it. it's taking place, Michael, and, and, and it's important to take a step back. And, and the phenomenon that we have witnessed of Orthodox Jewish growth generally and Hasidic growth in particular uh, in post-World War II America um, has shocked everyone, um, not least of all the Hasidim themselves. No one prepared for this. They didn't prepare for it. The Jewish world didn't prepare for it. And certainly when we were, you know, when there are, you know, state laws that govern suburban life and general municipal laws and school districts, no one had envisioned this either. This is a unique phenomenon. And our there's always a lag between, you know, policy and problem. And I hesitate to use the word problem because it suggests that there's something wrong about this growth, but it poses a, a unique set of challenges for for governance when you have you know communities they're they're inherently separated. Part of the Hasidic philosophy is avoiding a large level of interaction with the world at large. I get it. I respect it. I understand it. And as I set forth in my article, um, it has assured that that community has avoided intermarriage, avoided delayed marriage, and avoided assimilation. The central priority of the Hasidic community is to preserve its culture and its identity in a world that sometimes wishes to steal it away. However, the price of holding on so fiercely to that heritage and creating whole communities that are devoted to that purpose is it becomes more difficult to share broader public objectives, much less invest in them. Okay, so let's let's talk... Democracy requires cooperation and common ground, and that becomes more challenging when you have a separatist philosophy, which I don't judge, and I think it's important to acknowledge that that is what it is. The Hasidim are not interested, you know, in, in, in melting and in becoming part of the melting pot. They're interested in respect for their distinct culture. They're demanding as voters, as citizens, as taxpayers, and with the benefit of this country's tradition of religious freedom, as much autonomy as, as they are permitted. Um, but that comes at a cost to... The communities that are around them and how we how we deal with that is proving to be very 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 difficult and unfortunately very ugly this is spin class and we're sponsored by beckerman public relations beckermanpr.com our guest right now is former assemblyman new york state assemblyman ryan carbon resident of rockland county author of a blog post or article called stetelopolis and we are talking about the paradigm of Hasidic and Orthodox Jewish political power in suburbia, specifically suburban New York right now. We'll get to New Jersey shortly. And Ryan, what about the, the fact, or I guess the theory, that first-generation immigrants typically don't move out to the suburbs? It usually goes for the second generation or third generation typically move out to that. That's been the progression of American life for many decades. And yet you have in places like Spring Valley, in places like East Ramapo, first generation immigrants not speaking English, uh, not uh, certainly not of tremendous means moving to suburban neighborhoods and also creating some imbalances as far as the, the profile socioeconomically of a, of a specific district. East Ramapo has that problem as well. Why is the finger only pointed at the Hasidic Jewish community or the Orthodox Jewish community as being the root of the problem here? And why is it that some in the Orthodox Jewish community, I and seems like outsiders, 
are pointing the finger only at the Orthodox Jewish community or members of the school board instead of really looking at the entire problem? Well, listen, number one, we need to acknowledge there remains in this country, around the world, there are unadulterated anti-Semites who um, resent the ability of the Jewish people to not only survive but thrive in the shadow of the horrors we've endured. It's a fact. It's what it means to be a Jew wandering the earth, and any Jew who forgets that does so at their peril. So, you know, I, I, I predicate my comments based on that. Um, you know, we, 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 are, we are God's chosen people is our heritage, but that does not mean that the entire world has fallen in love with, with Jews. So, you know, that reality remains, and, and, and we deal with that. But with respect to the, to, the, to the consequences and why the Hasidic community gets so much disproportionate attention, it's the fastest-growing community in the state of New York. No one is growing faster. There is not a single community in the state outside of those uh, Hasidic villages that has a roughly annual 5% growth rate, 5% a year. So it's a phenomenon which is, which is unique to the community. Um, and lots of other things which are, which are, you know, obviously, you know, unique to the Hasidic lifestyle. And, and what we're seeing here is, uh, is interesting things balancing. The one freedom in this country which is least restricted is religious freedom. The growth of the Hasidic community that we have seen in this country could not happen anywhere else in the world. It could only happen in the United States of America. Because whenever there is a tie between someone's right to religious freedom and organize their religious community they want, and other social objectives, the tie in this country always goes to religious freedom. And that makes us unique in the world. So, you know, within that context, there's been great opportunities, incentives, and freedom to grow this thriving community. And it's benefited from all the, you know, from, from liberal civil society. But or are you going to have basically self-governed shtetls in which communities become, and this is what we're seeing, are, orthodox, are orthodox communities going to be communities that are exclusively orthodox. That's new. You've had communities where there are concentrations of orthodox Jews, or heavy populations of orthodox Jews. But what you're seeing now is the communities themselves moving towards total heterogeneity. And that, while that displacement takes place, um, there's a lot of growing pains that come with that. But in the long term, it proposes challenges for the community, too, um, in which, you know, you're basically um, looking at turning, you know, some of these uh, village governments, as I say, into shul board meetings. <laughs> well, um, and, and, and one of the challenges, the next challenge for the community is to deal with its own internal dissent. We've seen in Rockland where, where grand rabbis have gotten up and urged people not to vote for Hasids that were running for office to represent their fellow Hasidim. Uh, give an example of that. That's, that's very interesting. So you had in the, in the village of Spring Valley, heavy Hasidic population, Hasidic candidate for mayor. Uh, the, uh, the leader of the uh, Vizhnitz Hasidic sect got up the Saturday um, before the Democratic primary. It was the uh, Saturday uh, in between um, Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, high-profile sermon, and told his followers they should not vote for the Orthodox Jewish candidate. We had a race for, the, race for the state assembly, a guy named Aaron Weeder, who's now the majority leader of the county legislature, was running for the state assembly in a district that stretched from Muncie to Curious Joel. A lot of Hasidic voters. The folks in Curious Joel voted for a non-Jewish candidate, and most of the rabbis in Muncie urged their followers to stay home. They were not ready to have a Hasidic state legislator. So, you know, the community itself is going to be faced with challenges about exactly who it sends to government on his behalf, on its behalf, how those folks interact with other public officials, and is going to take place while these issues move to the fore regionally. And why is it going to impact state to take the question that, that we started with? It's going to impact state politics because the, because the regional issue is becoming so high profile that it's going to be talked about. What's going on in the Hudson Valley? With the new Tappan Zee Bridge, the mega in Orange County, you're looking in Orange County, Michael, at basically having three major things going on, uh, Woodbury Common, Curious Joel, and a casino. That's a very interesting mix of, you know, uh, shopping, gambling, and davening. So, I guess you, know, you, you could possibly get all three in the same afternoon. 
Well, you know, listen, I guess that's called the trifecta, right? Absolutely. So, so you know, this is what's happening in the region. Will there be kosher and, at the and, new and, casino? And, 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 and there are consequences to it. And because the Orthodox Jewish community in general, and the Hasidic community in particular, and its growth and how it lives is going to play such a huge role in shaping the future, or shaping the future of the Hudson Valley. It is going to, it is one of the major, major demographic factors that's going to shape this region's future. It's an economically critical region um, between New York City uh, and Albany. The state is pumping a lot of money into trying to revitalize the region, which has uh, seen its economy change dramatically over the course of the past 20 and 30 years. And the Jewish story and this very odd moment in Jewish history with all of its challenges and controversies, you're seeing it in Israel, as the Jewish people continue to try to find their path in the shadow of the horrors of the Holocaust, emboldened by the challenge of the modern state of Israel, challenged by issues of identity and affiliation and assimilation here in Israel, how we all deal with each other. While all these stories in Jewish history are playing out around us in this very, very uh, challenging time, it's intersecting with the practical politics of daily life in America, which is not which didn't ask to be a historic moment. You know, the Jewish people are going through a major period of internal realignment in terms of how Jews define themselves and look at themselves. That's taking place in the middle of a very, very contentious time in American politics. All right, well, I, to be very messy. I hate to be so historical about it. I, I prefer the more mundane give and take of politics. And just to... But I, I want to say specifically, if you were Governor Cuomo right now, how would you approach this issue? And and because uh, you you already indicated in your article that Republican candidate Rob Astorino is potentially going going to go on the anti-development side. Do you think he would? Well, he, really... he, he has a track record of that in Westchester. Okay, you mean with regard to the fair housing issue in in and are you likening one to the other? Oh well, you know the, the fair housing issue is about having um, high density housing in affluent suburban communities disrupting their character, smaller lot sizes, apartment buildings, hell. And what struck me, Michael, is the campaign mailings that the Astorino campaign sent out last year touting his opposition to the housing settlements with HUD that would bring this high-density housing to Westchester, they looked virtually identical to the mailings that have been sent out in Rockland County to combat the Hasidic building. Wow, that's amazing. And do you so, think, so, and do you think and, the governor and, and, will... And, you know, uh, Astorino's ally... At day, they work well together, and there, and, and I was, you know, there's a little bit of a scoop of news in that, uh, reflective piece about that out, out, outreach from the Astorino campaign. I think that Governor Cuomo is going to have to continue to, is going to try to tread sensitively. He has a history of long and deep relationships, um, with Hasidic leaders. Um, and he's, uh, been, you know, uh, worked with those communities for many, many years, going back to when he worked with, with his father. Um, I know that his, uh, staff has worked very, very hard to try to, uh, keep uh, things from boiling on East Ramapo and be part of the search for, for solutions there. Um, but at the same time, there were some East Ramapo folks who protested one of the governor's visits to Rockland last year. Uh, very uncomfortable for, for those people that were there. Um, the DEC is in the middle of whatever fracas happens with the annexation, Curious Joel. So I would expect that, and, and you had these clergy, uh, this clergy group for social justice, as they called themselves, um, going up to Albany yesterday, uh, calling on Cuomo, uh, to intervene in East Ramapo and effectively seize control of its affairs. So there's been a huge effort here to move some of these issues onto the governor's desk. I think he has been smart not to fan the flames and get drawn into the mix. But I think as the campaign heats up, these issues are going to be on the table. Uh, the Journal News, the Times Herald Record, the regional newspapers that cover these things so intensely. Uh, that's now being amplified by a lot of regional media, by a lot of New York City media attention on these issues. So it's going to become part of the, con the conversation of the campaign. It's inescapable. Okay, last question for you. We could really go on, but we have other guests uh, holding at the moment. And the last question is, what do you make of certain members of the Orthodox community lining up on the side of that clergy coalition, lining up against others in the Orthodox community, calling for the Orthodox to relinquish control of the East Ramapo School District? Is, that, is there a divide amongst the... Orthodox community in Rockland on this issue? Or is many, it, are these outsiders? Many, many people in the Orthodox community are deeply uncomfortable with what has happened to the public school system. 
Um, the history of the, you know, you have a, a huge number of uh, Orthodox Jews, particularly modern Orthodox Jews, um, who worked as teachers in the New York City public schools, um, who worked in, in education. Uh, this makes them very, very, very uncomfortable. Um, and, and uh, you know, that is, that is certainly part of the conversation um, as well. But what has happened is because of the polarization, because of some of the very vitriolic attacks that have been made on the, on the more ultra-Orthodox community, everybody feels that they need to take a side, and you have, there's, you know, you're either with them or against them, and there remains very meager ground uh, for people to continue to try to uh, seek um, consensus solutions to problems. And that's really an unfortunate, um, that's an unfortunate development. Okay, former assemblyman Ryan Carbon, a, with a blog item from Carbon Copy, Shtetlopolis, profiling the political power of the Orthodox Jewish communities in the Hudson Valley. And money line from there is that nobody can get elected in the ninth Judicial District of the state of New York without the support of the Hasidic community. Uh, so certainly that is a potent political force out there, and that will according to Ryan, will affect the statewide races coming up in 2014. Thank you for joining us, Ryan. Thank you, Michael. Good to be with you. This is Spin Class. We're sponsored by Beckerman PR, and we have Aaron Trudler on the line. Aaron is a frequent guest on the show and uh, always love his political commentary. Writes a political column for the Bergen Jewish Link, among other hats that he wears. And uh, wanted to go to Jersey for a little bit because... I know sometimes people feel that New Jersey gets neglected on this political show, that we only talk about Chris Christie. But uh, Aaron is a resident of TNAC, writes about politics in New Jersey, and want to get his perspective on political power in the Orthodox community within Bergen County and, I guess, specifically in TNAC, New Jersey. Welcome back, Aaron. Michael, it's always wonderful to be here. Thank you for having me. So profile TNAC for a second. Not Rockland, it's not Lakewood, it's not Brooklyn. Give us the idea of the orthodox political profile in TNAC. Because I know you know, you've done a big job about registering people to vote, getting them aware about voting. There are local elections, there are statewide elections, there are where TNAC is a factor. Unquestionably. Uh, the, the Jewish community in TNAC is, is, uh, differs greatly from those communities you just mentioned, namely Muncie, Brooklyn, Lakewood, etc., in that there, there is no Hasidic block vote. There is no group of people that a candidate can go to and, you know, plead their case, try and garner some support, and walk away with, with a whole host of votes all in one shot. Uh, this is a community that's comprised of a lot of educated folks, professional folks, um, people who, you know, like to think for themselves. Uh, and quite frankly, you know, until recently, we're not perhaps as involved with the political process as some of us uh, who are involved were comfortable with. We're comfortable with. Now, uh, in terms of the numbers in the community, uh, you know, the population of Teaneck of the township itself is probably covers around 40,000 people. Uh, of those 40,000 people, uh, the estimate in terms of the Jewish population, and again, I'm not including Jews of all denominations, probably in the 13,000 range or so. And in terms of uh, the Orthodox community specifically, you're probably looking at about 7,000 or so Orthodox Jews in the township of Teaneck. And uh, what's remarkable is that the, the township, uh, the Orthodox Jews in, in, in Teaneck, in recent years especially, have begun to flex their political muscle. Um, you have, you know, the, the, the township council, uh, which is comprised of seven members. You have four of those members who are Orthodox Jews. Um, some of the other um, important boards and commissions within the town you know, the planning board, for example, which is an integral piece of the uh, municipal operation, nine-member board, uh, you have five members who are Orthodox. The zoning board, you, you have four members that are Orthodox. Um, many, probably dozens of others or so on other boards. I mean, I'm, for example, I'm a member of the Library Board of Trustees. You know, it's just a show of force by the Orthodox community to get involved on a civic level, to get involved on a political level, and to try and make their voice heard. Um, what's so, interesting is that I'm sorry, Michael. Go ahead. So, no, I just was wondering. So, what are the races? So, an Orthodox Jew can get elected to to township board and can get elected to library board, can get elected to school board. Uh, what about beyond that? What about does that extend? Is there enough Orthodox political power to have in the assembly seat or to have a state senate seat or beyond that? And and what about with regard to the the combined Teaneck, Englewood, Fairlawn area 
or other places in in northern New Jersey. Just trying to get an idea of the uh, of the of the profile of the whole uh, of the whole area. Okay, so and and maybe the Orthodox aren't united. I think you started off by saying that it's not it's a more diffuse community. It's not a question of you can just go to a single entity and garner support from everybody at the same time. Yeah, that's absolutely correct. Uh, I mean, there is a lot of, and I'll get to the broader community in a moment, there is a lot of uh, tension within the Teaneck community, uh, the greater Teaneck community, um, on a political level between um, most of the Orthodox community and those who are not part of the Orthodox community. Um, and that manifests itself um, in, in the local municipal races, of which, for example, May 13th is the upcoming township election. Um, it's, you know, it's that, that, that uh, prejudice has reared its ugly head back in 2012 and in 2010. So, you know, it's a community where the, the Orthodox, I think, are, are the Orthodox members are kind of put off by what they view as attacks on them, on their candidates. And although they, you know, they definitely have their own minds and they, and they think independently, I think they, they're somewhat united in the sense that they need to stick together uh, to try and make a difference in the local municipal elections. Now, in terms of the broader uh, Bergen County Jewish community, I mean, it's a very large, growing, vibrant community. You have, in addition to Teaneck, Bergenfield, Fairlawn, Englewood, uh, you had New Milford. You have a very large population uh, of Jews, and they, they, again, when they kind of uh, vote together and they have mutual interests and common concerns, they can un- unquestionably make a difference, uh, definitely on, on races on the county level, um, races on, on, on the state level and the federal level, uh, the candidates you know, certainly make stops to these different communities and, and, and definitely make attempts to, uh, to garner some support within those communities. Again, it's not a situation where you can walk away with potentially thousands of votes in one shot. However, uh, the Jewish community, obviously, in addition to the local municipal concerns that are shared by residents of all municipalities, you know, there are larger, broader concerns. Uh, so obviously on the federal level, when you have, uh, you know, Senate races and congressional races um, where uh, Israel-related issues come into play, you know, the Orthodox Jewish community primarily uh, will stick together uh, on, 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 on some of those issues. Uh, on, on the county level, there's no question that, that the Orthodox vote is important. However, because in those votes, you know, those elections, those are partisan elections, you have Democrats running, you have Republicans running, and, you know, everybody's got their own political ideology. So, again, it's not a united force, um, but on issues where, where they have the ability and the wherewithal and the willingness to stick together, uh, they can definitely be a potent political force, no question. So you've highlighted some interesting tensions, and we're here with Aaron Trudler, Paul Revere Public Relations, as well as a columnist for the Bergen Jewish Link. I, so you've highlighted some very interesting tensions within the community as far as the exercise of political power and how they might want, some might want to have a larger profile, some might want to have a smaller profile. What has the experience of the Orthodox Jewish members of the various boards or the office holders been? Uh, I think the most prominent probably was the past mayor of Englewood. Michael Wilds, who was a member of the Orthodox community, and if that's the one name that I can remember very distinctly. I know Shmuley Boteach ran uh, a quixotic uh, campaign for Congress as uh, certainly running as a rabbi and certainly as an Orthodox rabbi, but I don't know with her, you know, how much that was real or just perceived. But uh, give us what has been their experience of the office holders, and you know, are they are they how much is the Jewishness a factor of that? How much how much is, are they just plain citizens? Okay, so for example, I mean, you talk about a congressional race. Uh, so uh, Teaneck is actually split into two congressional districts. Uh, Bill Congressman Bill Pascrell represents a smaller portion of Teaneck, uh, more of the eastern portion of the town, uh, and Scott Garrett, Representative Scott Garrett, uh, is the congressional representative for probably the bulk of the township. Uh, two, several years ago, Adam Gustin, who's a uh, member of the Orthodox community, he's a town councilman, so he, he launched a bid against Scott Garrett. He came up short again. I think it was, uh, you know, there was, a, there was a lack of funding, there was a lack of interest, and it was hard for him to gain any traction. But, you know, that was a situation where you, you did have an Orthodox, a member of the Orthodox community, uh, take a shot, take a stab at trying to achieve higher office. Uh, 
what 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 tends to, uh, aside from the, the the few examples that you mentioned, you know what typically seems to be happening uh, is especially in the Bergen County community. I mean, you know, for example, you have Gary Share, who's an assemblyman, a prominent assemblyman out of out of Passaic, uh, but in Bergen County specifically, the the office holders. Uh, uh, from the Orthodox. Actually, Gary Sherr was also a mayor. He was also the mayor of Passaic at the same Passaic, time. Right, as and, being... he, and he became an assemblyman. And he's, by the way, he's an outspoken uh, supporter, obviously, of, of some of the school choice issues that are so uh, near and dear to the hearts of the or- members of the Orthodox community. Uh, and he's made he's made great headway in those areas. But in Burton County specifically, the impact of the Orthodox community office holders has really been has really been primarily on the municipal level. Uh, you have a member of the Bergenfield Council, uh, Bergenfield Council, who's an Orthodox Jew. Teaneck obviously is probably the largest of those communities, and like I alluded to before, the four members obviously of, of that council uh, have a great say in determining some of the municipal issues that come before them and what the disposition is. Uh, but what's interesting is, I mean, you have some of the I can think of two two, two specific examples of uh, of members of the township of Teaneck Council who have been serving for many, many years, uh, neither, neither of whom have really made any attempt or to really express any interest to seek higher office. They, they're very heavily invested in the Teaneck community. They give of their time and, and, and their effort to make it a better place. And uh, you know, none of these folks have really uh, thrown their hat in the ring for some of these larger, big-scale races. Uh, and what that tells me is, again, because of the nature of the Bergen County Orthodox community, which, again, not that it's fractured in any means, but people tend to think on their own and obviously make choices that they see fit, uh, regardless of the fact of whether it's shared by their neighbors. You know, these are, these are folks who perhaps on the municipal level um, be most comfortable, and, and they haven't really uh, expressed any interest in seeking higher office. And, and I think, like I said, it's attributable to the thought process of the community. It's attributable, I believe, to the the political makeup of the community, um, although they are becoming unquestionably becoming more active in recent years because of some of the um, uh, insults and, 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 and derogatory uh, comments that have been directed towards specifically Orthodox members of the council, the greater Jewish community, specifically in Teaneck, uh, has really kind of risen up and attempted to make their presence felt on Election Day when they go to the polls. And, and again, like I mentioned before, there is an election two weeks in, in, in Teaneck, and as it was two years ago and as it was four years ago, um, it's kind of these racial undertones are, are unfortunately very prevalent. Uh, so it'll be very interesting to see how things play out um, with, with several of the Orthodox members up for re-election. And I wonder, uh, what would you gauge the turnout as, as a percentage of registered voters? So you got to figure. Typically, you know, in Teaneck specifically, um, probably about twenty-seven thousand or so registered voters. Uh, the turnout, I think, is somewhere maybe the twenty to twenty-five percent range um, in these in these uh, nonpartisan municipal elections. Obviously, it's a higher rate in uh, you know in, in in the federal races, state races, etc. But in but in the in the local municipal races, and what I mean by that is specifically, you know, the Teenship, Teaneck Township Council, uh, the numbers are lower, and by virtue of that fact, the clout of the Orthodox community is felt that much greater, and that's why there's such a concerted effort to to drive out the vote on election day. Um, well, what what would be the number in the Orthodox community? Because I think that's one thing that I've noticed uh, over time is that while we talk about Orthodox political power in New York City specifically, the percentage of voters as a percentage of of eligible voters and registered voters is embarrassingly low, too embarrassing for me to say, but it, it hovers. And, you know, for my own local elections in uh, in the five towns, it's we we can get very uh, significant numbers uh, hovering even for occasionally for local even school board elections above fifty percent, which is uh, for that's, that for, that's a phenomenal number. That's a phenomenal number, and you know you'll have occasionally even higher for certain races. Yeah, no, I I don't believe the numbers that high in Teaneck. I'm not sure exactly what the percentage is. Um, again, like any like any segment of the electorate, there's always that degree of apathy that's out there, um, and you know the message that's being communicated as it should be in every election, but I know specifically in, in the municipal elections. Uh, that are forthcoming in Teaneck, 
is, you know, every vote makes a difference. I mean, if you're a member of a particular community and you have a particular interest, uh, whatever the case may be, you've got to get out there and vote because, I mean, we've seen in prior elections, you know, the difference between winning and losing could be a very, very thin margin. Um, well, it can and, be as little as one vote. So, Aaron, we're going yeah. to leave it there. Uh, this is Spin Class, and thank you, Aaron Trudler, Porville Public Relations, columnist for the Bergen Jewish Link, and thank you for joining us here once again. Thanks for having me, Michael. I appreciate it. This is Spin Class, and we're sponsored by BeckermanPR.com, and we are going on in this segment about orthodox political power, orthodox political participation in the suburbs. And I should take this moment, I should have probably done it earlier, just to talk about you know the five towns where I am, as we have a, uh, in the village of Lawrence, where I sit on the board, we have all five of the board uh, trustees are Orthodox. In the village of Cedarhurst, we have three of the neighboring village. There are three of the five trustees are members of the Orthodox community. The local county legislator is an Orthodox Jew, and the neighboring assemblyman in Farakaway is an Orthodox Jew, and it's possible that an Orthodox Jew might run for state assembly in our district. So certainly there is some clout that goes along with that. But uh, as my next guest, I have the former mayor, former deputy mayor, or maybe current deputy mayor, sorry, of Lakewood, New Jersey, a uh, quaint little town down in central uh, New Jersey that nobody really hears about or knows about uh, or politically. Uh, And Stephen Langer, welcome back to Spin Class. Thank you for having me. Pleasure to be here again. So, Stephen, uh, current deputy mayor, I, I kind of messed oh, it. Cur- current committeeman. I think current committeeman. Last time I was with you, I was serving as a deputy mayor. And, you know, let me just explain to your listeners how that works here. You know, you mentioned that in uh, Lawrence you have a board of trustees. In Lakewood, we have what's uh, kind of like a board of trustees. It's called the Township Committee. And we have five members. We're elected to the Township Committee. Each person was elected to get the three-year term. And the committee itself rotates the mayorship and the deputy mayorship on a yearly basis. So when you know, I, I happen to be up for re-election this year, the three-year term, and uh, again, the mayorship and the deputy mayor is appointed by the committee on a yearly basis at our reorganization meeting at the beginning of the year. Okay, so it's very possible you might be mayor at a future date, having been mayor beforehand. That's correct. And how many of the five committeemen are members of the Orthodox community? We have four um, four members are are Orthodox. One is not Jewish. He proudly displays his Shabbos Goy nameplate at our meeting. Oh, beautiful, beautiful! Uh, and Lakewood itself is is a is absolutely uh, bursting as a city as far as the growth is concerned. We talked earlier uh, with one of our guests as far as the growth of the Orthodox Jewish villages and environs in Rockland and Orange County being the fastest-growing villages in the state of New York, those being Kaser, uh, New Square, and Curious Yole. Uh, Lakewood is, I think, amongst the fastest-growing uh, townships in New Jersey, if not the fastest-growing. Well, you know, you make an interesting point there. In, uh, in 2012, there was a New York Times, May of 2012, there was a New York Times article saying how Curious Yole was the youngest, um, youngest community in the, in the country, median age. Lakewood was the second youngest community, and the reason we weren't the, the youngest was because we have a very large and active adult community population here in Lakewood. Uh, the, so you're saying I that upsets that the balance? I will, pardon? That upsets the balance. Yes. I will tell you that the, I will tell you that in the 2010 census, Lakewood was the seventh largest municipality in New Jersey by population. Over 93,000 residents live in Lakewood, according to the census. There's over 110,000 actual people because, you know, people don't get counted. And we also have a very large undocumented population that was not counted in our census. So we're well over 100,000 residents in, in Lakewood. And like I said, we're the seventh largest municipality in the state. According to the state's figures, we should be, within the next two census cycles, by 2030, we should be either the third or the fourth largest municipality in the state with over 200,000 residents. Wow. That would certainly, that puts you up there with Newark, 
And Jersey it's, City. Well, Newark has 275,000 people, and I think Jersey City, which is second, is uh, around 230,000 people. Wow, pretty amazing. And let's just talk about the voting profile for a second, because uh, we talked about TNAC just a second ago with our previous guest, but Lakewood is certainly courted, at, if not a significant factor, even in statewide elections in, in New Jersey. I don't think there's one, been one statewide candidate in the past, 30 years, or let, let me let me say 25 years that I've been living and married and involved in politics in Lakewood, that you haven't had a statewide candidate stop in at Lakewood to court the Lakewood vote. And so how much is Lakewood a defining vote as far as, as, far as the as state-level races, the Assembly and State Senate? As well as, let's say, in the county level, our county freeholders. Um, our state senator, a very long time serving legislator, has been in the in the state legislature for over 20 years. Uh, state Senator Robert Singer, he's a Lakewood resident, a uh, member of uh, Orthodox Synagogue here, although not what you would call your typical or um, profile uh, Orthodox Jew. You know, you wouldn't identify him in Lakewood. You know, you're not a, you're identified as a as, as part of the yeshiva or, or, or community or not, although that has begun to change, Michael, you know, over the past few years, that has begun to change as people are, are, are moving to Lakewood more for the economic, uh, economics of it as opposed, to, as opposed to just settling here after, you know, being in the yeshiva and getting married and, and, and living here. But don't forget, you know, we are over an hour, you know, for a lot of people who, commute to the city we're over an hour and a half by bus to the city in the morning so it's, it's a kind of a hard commute but the business community here has been is growing by leaps and bounds and you have more of that um i, I would guess that it's becoming more of an economic center for the jewish community for uh, here in ocean county in lakewood now, is there any, have there been conflicts over the issue of Orthodox Jews serving in positions of power, like on the township committee or on the school board or on other boards? Have people felt that that wasn't a good idea, that it wasn't good for the Orthodox community to be making decisions for the rest of the community, like uh, like we've had you know, conflicts right now with regard to in Rockland County, and it was talked about by previous guests, even in Bergen County and Teaneck. Has has that been an issue in Lakewood as well? It, not anymore, but in but in the early 90s it was. I remember, I think it might have been 1993 or 1994, I wanted to run for the school board. And I went to some of the very influential power brokers in town, um, spoke to them, discussed it with them. And they said, you know, it's not the right time. We don't feel it's the right time to have an Orthodox representing uh, any of the boards. In the next year, someone did it without kind of, you know, just decided they were going to do it, and they did get elected, and that kind of opened the floodgates. And you know, I think in 1999 was the first time an Orthodox Jew was elected to the township committee. And then just a couple of a few years later, I think in 2002 or 2003, uh, 2001 maybe. Or 2002, the township uh, committee became, uh, there was a second person who was on. And when I got elected for the first time in 2008, that's when we became a majority of Orthodox Jews on the township committee. So one of our previous guests talked about the fact that Aaron Weeder, who is currently the majority leader of the Rockland County Legislature, and he is a Hasidic Jew, he ran, had run for assembly this uh, previous cycle in a strongly Hasidic district that encompassed both the Hasidic communities in Rockland County as well as in Curious Yol. You would have thought that he would garner their support. And in fact, many of the Hasidic leaders said not to vote for him for that assembly race. And I, I guess as of yet, Lakewood has not sent anyone to the assembly, has not sent anybody to Trenton. Is that correct? Um, I, well, from the Orthodox community. From the Orthodox community, Orthodox I apologize. Community, yeah. That that from the yes. That is, well, that is correct. Although, um, you know, you take a look at our senator. You know, his his daughter Sari 
who is the uh, head of a strength to strength. She was a victim of a terror bomb in, in Israel. She, you know, she's an Orthodox. She's religious. Right, right. I apologize. I, 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 I so, should have couched you know, that I differently. You wouldn't say that, but then again, you know, would, you wouldn't say that, that uh, Senator Singer is, is your typical Orthodox Jew, although let's put it this way. Just today he told me, you know, Steve, in the rest of the county, that, uh, you and I are no different. But that's what people don't understand. The, I think that Michael, I think that you well, know. Well, that's very interesting, when, Steve. I, I was originally, I was originally, you know, intrigued by what you when you asked me to come on the show to talk about Orthodox, quote unquote, you know, um, politics in, in the suburbs. The, the truth is that people don't, you know, people while we are identified differently because we wear yarmulke and we're easily identifiable, identified as Jews. Understand that here in the southern part of the state, you're Jewish doesn't make a difference to them what kind of Jew you are. Jews are Jew. Uh, right. Well, that the, you know that's very interesting. That you should say that, and I, I'm glad that I misspoke with the question because you brought out a very important point. Uh, however, I, it's interesting that in New York, in particular, particularly in places like Rockland County, Rockland County actually is the most Jewish county in the entire country, and the mo- much of the conflict comes from Jews versus other Jews, I meaning non-Orthodox Jews. Uh, and, that, and that is the worst. You know something. I was thinking, I've been thinking about this for a few weeks, um, about a week based off and uh, up until, up until now. I've been thinking about this for a while because, you know, you read about what happened in Ukraine, you know, whether it's true, it's not true, it, it, it was sanctioned, it wasn't sanctioned. The fact that, that, that it's even up for discussion, the fact that it's even up for discussion that Jews should have to register, it should have to be counted and known and pay a fee. And then the mayor over there is shot only because he's Jewish. You know, it's, it's something that, like what happened the other day, unfortunately, in the NBA, you know, in the outcry that came from this. This is something that should not be happening. This is something that should, we should, should not be going on. And as Jews, we should realize that, you know what? We are, we, we have to treat each other. We have, with respect, we have to get on the same page with each other, because nobody's watching our back. If we're not watching each other's back, certainly no one else is watching it. And I kind of feel that maybe the, the reason it happens is because we insulate ourselves so much and we, we have this false perception, this false perception of safety, because, like you said, it's a, you know, Rockland County or even Lakewood or, or where you live in, in, uh, in the five towns, because we're a majority there and we are in quote-unquote, control in, 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 in the rulership. And the, we think that we have some type, some type of false sense of security, and I think we need to get beyond that. I, I think you bring up an excellent point, and there's no question that I think we brought out from a lot of discussion on this show that Orthodox Jewish political power is a double-edged sword, and there yes. is ambivalence within the community with regard to that. And, you know, I guess there's, the, there's that old adage, is there a Democrat or Republican way to pick up the garbage and uh, you got to wonder whether that should be applied in this case, that really when it comes to local politics, there's really no orthodox versus non-orthodox way of picking up the garbage. Right. I, there's I think, no Republican, there's no Democrat way. Right. I think, you know, and, and to touch on your point, if I may, I'd like to, I'd like to bring out a point. You know, I, I heard before while I was waiting to get on when you were with, the other, with your other guest, Aaron, you said how Phoenix has 27,000 registered voters. Lakewood with 97,000 people has close to 35,000 children under the age of 18. So we don't have, believe it or not, I think we have maybe 40,000 registered voters. This, you know, the, the two large blocks are obviously the Orthodox and the what I call the adult communities, people over the age of 55. You know, when I was first, when I go out to the villages to speak, which I do on a on a, on a regular basis. That's the adult community, the villages. The adult communities. We have nine different villages, you know, where, quote-unquote, right, it's not like a village, right? You know, it's like we have a, a we have a village that's one of the largest in the state's original leisure village. Believe it or not, there are 2,200 homes in, in leisure village, all for people over the age of 55. I, I, went, to one, I, I went to one of them, and the, the president, when he introduced me, said something very interesting. He said, Steve Langer, it's a man who, when he wakes up in the morning, goes to town hall, sits at the mayor's desk, takes his yarmulke off his head, puts it in the drawer, and treats everybody the same. 
So I said to him, I said, Gene, I really want to thank you. I don't take my yarmulke off because the glare from my bald head would, you know, kill everybody, which got a laugh from the audience. I said, but, but, it is, but I'm very happy to hear you say those words because if that's the perception that you have, then I'm doing my job because that's what I'm really trying to do. And I think that sometimes, you know, I think the knock is sometimes that people say, oh, you, you try to treat other people better than you treat your own because you want to show that you're even-handed and you're, and you're fair. I don't try to do that. I just treat everybody as a human being. I treat everybody the same. Everyone gets the same type of treatment from me. doesn't matter whether you have a yarmulke on or not. But unfortunately, what you said before is true. It is a double-edged sword, and that's the perception that's out there in the non-Orthodox community, especially the secular Jews or Jews who aren't so religious. Some of them feel that the Orthodox don't care about them, and that's and that is a well, that, situation where that's, I think that a lot of Orthodox Jews in political power have to be aware of that and have to understand that. I totally you know, agree. It's true or not? To- I totally agree, and uh, that is a great way to wrap up this segment because I, I think that w- very well said, and that's a good lesson for everyone who holds uh, political office, no matter who they are, and. Uh, People wearing yarmulkes should certainly be well aware of the pitfalls that come along with those perceptions. Steve Langert, former mayor of Lakewood, New Jersey, committeeman, thanks for joining us here on Spin Class once again. Thanks for having me today. This is Spin Class, sponsored by Beckerman, and with our wrap-up segment, we have Edward Isaac Dover of Politico, and you thought that we were going to go the whole show without talking about John Kerry. So I want you all to know that I was thinking about the entire time, and we had to have him on just to talk about John Kerry, certainly the knucklehead of the week. And uh, Edward, what was he thinking? I mean, let's let's be honest. Apartheid, the, he, it, to me, it's worse if he thought he was off the record, because that means he was willing to say things that he thinks, and but, but he didn't want to say them because, you know, he was afraid of the, the, the blowback. Well, it was less that he was off the record. He was in a closed-door meeting with a lot of people, just not expecting that there would be a reporter there with a tape recorder going, uh, which is, in fact, what happened last Friday. But what is John Kerry thinking? I think the answer is that he is thinking that he was trying to describe a situation that uh, he feels is very much a a possibility for the future of Israel without uh, a two-state solution and uh, how he did not realize that using the word apartheid might get him into trouble is a different question. Well, that's, that's more my question. Apartheid is a loaded word. There's no way around it. It smacks of some of the worst types of regimes, meaning South Africa. It means it's totally racist. And you have a situation in South Africa, you did not have uh, uh, blacks serving in the parliament. In Israel, you have Arabs serving in the parliament. How can you compare the two? Look, what he was saying is not that Israel is in an apartheid situation now, or that it necessarily will be, but the full quote that he said was that things could end up moving in that direction. No, no, I understand, and I understand why you would defend it, but he is the United States Secretary of State. Words matter. Verbiage matters. And and, And, and I'm certainly not defending him, I'm just saying the the full sense of what he was saying was that this, he said, I believe it's Israel risks moving toward a situation where it could be an apartheid state. Right, of course. So that's what he was saying. No, no, I and I agree, and I'm not, uh, I think that he probably hasn't said anything that others haven't said, maybe even including Israelis, as far as it, the necessity down the road of a solution. However, again, he is in a position of power here, and right. he is in a position of immense influence over a process that many people have a lot of ambivalence towards. That's and certainly true. you would think that he would be want to reassure the sides that he understands and feels their pain instead of going ahead and uh, using such a word. Right. And he in his he's a diplomat. He didn't, he didn't quite call it an apology. The statement that he put out Monday night, but he did in the the statement in which he backpedaled and said he wished he could rewind the tape and use a different word. He said that he knows from all of his time in politics and as a diplomat now uh, that words matter and can create impressions. Uh, he did not seem to know that on uh, Friday in that meeting when he said it. Uh, but what, one of the things that I think is notable here is that the pushback that Kerry has been getting, uh, the, the real anger that he's been facing, is not so much from the Israelis. It's more from supporters of Israel in this country. 
Uh, and it was interesting earlier today, uh, Ambassador Ron Dermer, the Israeli ambassador to the U.S., put out a statement saying that he uh, stands by John Kerry and appreciates all of Kerry's efforts on the peace process. Of course, of course he's going to say such a thing. There's right. no reason for him to get into a what's might be known as a pissing match with the with the uh with the Secretary of State. So that's that's a at least Ron Dermer's a diplomat. I would <laughs> I'm a little bit shocked that our that our Secretary of State, the head diplomat is not so much of a diplomat. Uh, look, it, it it is hard to to understand how somebody who has been around this game for as long as Kerry has was not thinking that using the word apartheid even though it's a word that uh, a lot of Israelis have used uh, to describe things and uh, that uh, Ehud Barak and Ehud Olmert and Tibi Livni have used to describe what the possible future would be. Even so, it's not a word that uh, was going to ever be received well coming out of the, the Secretary of State's mouth. True, truly amazing. Uh, Edward Isaac Dover from Politico, I apologize for the very short segment here, but we hope to have you again in the very near future discussing the latest in Kerryisms and maybe even some Bidenisms. <laughs> We'll see. They, they, they keep coming, all of them. <laughs> At least it's good fodder for people like you in your business. So fantastic. Somebody's got to keep me employed. <laughs> so thank you for joining us here on sure. Spin Class. Thank you. And another show under wraps here on Spin Class. We got to the John Kerry thing with our knucklehead move. Thank you for joining us. We'll be here next week on the Nachum Siegel Network.